How many of you ever get stressed out, overwhelmed, filled with anxiety, burnt out? Anyone? Nobody wants to admit it. But we all tend to experience that, don't we? And the reason why we're going through that is because we have a small voice in our head whispering something. And the idea here, listen, is we recharge our phones. Anybody ever recharge your phone? You unplug or recharge or renew or upgrade or whatever, but you're always making sure that your phone uh, will not stay that way but be recharged so you're, it's always highly functioning, right? Well, this voice inside of our head is whispering very loudly, you're not enough. You're not enough. And so this voice drives our life choices and our decisions to the point where we are living stressed out, chaotic, depressed, filled with anxiety type of lives. Teenage depression is way on the rise, mainly because most of us or all of us at some point feel like we are not enough. You know, so what we do with our schedules, this is crazy. We, we pack it with so many activities. Hey, honey, you take the, you know, you take the little kid to the play practice, and I'll take the one to the soccer practice, and then we'll swap at 6 p.m., and then we'll go ahead and we'll go pay the bills at 7 p.m., and then at 8 p.m. we'll sing some songs, at 9 p.m. we'll do this, then I got a board meeting to go to, and then I got this, and then I got this, and then we're exhausted by the time we go to bed. Then it's restart in the morning. We're a highly caffeinated, syruped, stoked out kind of life, and it's like, man, what else do we have to do? And then our church asks us, hey, will you serve as a small group leader? Will you come to the board meeting and be a board, you know, member? Will you uh, volunteer? Will you go over here? Will you do that? All pretty good stuff, wouldn't you say? And, and you're all good people. I'm, peop I'm, I'm speaking to good people here. Even if you're wrestling with demons, you're good people. And yet we're so stressed out, chaotic, and we pack our schedules and we upgrade our phones. And we, well, why do we need to upgrade our phone? Well, Johnny got his phone upgraded. I need to upgrade my phone. Well, what about the house? I thought we were going to upgrade the house because Susie down the street, she moved into a nicer neighborhood. I thought we talked about we were going to move into a nicer neighborhood, and I need a vacation. And we just do all these things. Why? To prove to ourselves and to other people that, hey, man, I'm enough too. Is it too in your face too early? <laughs> I'm enough. Hey, I just want everybody to know I'm enough. And so what happens is we get so tired, this is crazy, that we take a vacation just to get away from our life. That's, that's wild. And then we've built up these habits of stress and worry and fear and chaos in our lives that we don't even know how to rest and recharge on our vacation. That when we get home from vacation, we need a vacation from our vacation. And so what's the cure for this? Now, I don't have all the answers. And I do know that there's one big practical strategy that I'd like to walk through. The great Danny Schaffner has asked me to help you walk through today, which is he's such a smart guy. He's such a good guy. And, and what this big practical strategy is going to be able to reduce some of your anxiety and your stress and your worry and your fear because it has to do with your time. And guess what? Like a fish in water, you're always in time. As your time goes, so goes your life. As your schedule and calendar goes, so goes your life. And the idea is to slow time. Repeat after me. Slow. Slow. There you go, slow time. And, you know, time is a finite resource for all of us, but it, it can be infinite in experience. Remember the time you smiled at the girl and she smiled and it only lasted a second, but it stayed with you forever? 
You can experience time. You can slow down time. And in the, in the great book, you know, the Bible, the one that I love to read and read and read, it, it uses a word for that. It's called the Sabbath. And the Sabbath uh, was, had everything to do with about, you know, hey, God is enough. Now, that's going to offend people who are not believers in God. And if that's you, you're so welcome here. We're so thankful that you're here. And it's okay. It's okay that you're here and don't believe that. That's fine. Everybody's on a journey. And that might offend you. And I'm okay with that. Okay? And so let's be friends. And, and by the way, the Sabbath also had to do, and this is going to offend all my Christian friends, because I am an equal opportunity offender. I just want you to know that right off the bat. That you're enough. Some Christians fight that. No, I'm not. No, you are. You're enough, and God is enough. And the Sabbath was a, a flag planted in the ground to remind us that we're enough. So I want to look, take you to an old psalm, way back written in the day. And guess who wrote this psalm? One David. It was Moses. Moses talks about time and how to experience time and slow time. He's also the giver of the Sabbath to humanity. So let's look at this. The very first verse here. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Moses is simply saying here, God, you are enough. And we lean into the fact that you are enough. You know, who's with me? Turn to somebody and say, you are enough. Some of y'all don't even believe it. You won't even say it. But he's saying that God, that, that God is enough. And they literally created a day called the Sabbath, where they said, hey, man, I want you to take 24 hours off of your week, consecutive hours, where you won't do any more work, that you'll have rest, that you'll be able to unplug, recharge, rediscover your purpose, that burning thing inside your heart that some of us gave up. That's what Moses is saying to them. And for 24 hours, don't pick another grape, don't pick another grain, don't harvest another olive, but just to lay your tools down and to take that 24 hours to play, rediscover your purpose and all that. Now, the main idea wasn't necessarily to be lazy, because I, if I take a day off, I start overthinking, right? And that leads me to sadness. I don't want to do that. So what is the idea behind it? It's to have peace of mind and to know that my God is enough, right? And to know that I am enough, and that's the foundational belief, even if I can't improve in all areas. My wife would tell you that. Okay, but I'm still enough, and you're still enough, Moses says to us. Now, Moses is saying, listen, Moses is enough, they are enough, and their God is enough. With me? How about the next verse? Let's look at it. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are our God. So Moses says, look, I brought forth, God brought forth the world not out of necessity. He didn't have to create me or you. He did it out of freedom and love, which means he chose us. Okay? So there's something about you that he desires and that you're enough to some degree that he decided to create us and keep us going. You follow me? And then Moses says, look, from everlasting to everlasting, God didn't start. Okay? And then God doesn't stop. And here's little old Moses right here in the middle of all that. And you and I right in the middle of all that. And sometimes, like us, Moses didn't feel like he was enough. I mean, Moses essentially had four lives in his 120 years. The first life, he was born into Pharaoh's house as a baby. Remember that story? And he had plasma screen TVs and air conditioners and drove around Hummers. I mean, he had salt rooms and saunas and hot tubs. He had the works. 
And then he ends up killing an Egyptian, which, you know, we're, we're around there beating on the slaves, the Israelite slaves. And so he ran, he didn't say, I'm not enough to stick around here anymore. So he ran into the second phase of his life, get this, which was a shepherd. So he went from the Carlton Ritz to living out in, you know, the pastures watching sheep. And for the first four hours, you know, it was kind of peaceful. Just him and the sheep. And he'd watch the sunrise, and the sun would go across the horizon. And then day four, he'd watch the sunrise and go across the horizon. And then week four, the sunrise would go across the horizon. And there were no books or TVs or anything like that. It was just him and the sun for four years. Forty years he did that. And he had no idea how his life would unfold. He didn't think, man, I'm Moses, you know. He's just a dude. He's like, nobody's going to remember me. I'm not that, you know, I'm not enough like that. You know, I'll have a kid. I'll die. They'll die. And then, boom, I'm out of history. He had no idea. But then the Bible says, and whether you believe this or not, so glad you're here, you know, that God spoke to Moses. Sounds kind of funny to some contemporary ears, but God spoke to Moses. And he said, I want you to go to the epicenter of what's happening in modern-day world and talk to Pharaoh go eyeball to eyeball with big bad Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses said, I'm not enough. I can't talk well enough. I'm not smart enough. Got to go talk to someone else. So he recruits a really cool name, Aaron. And then, you know, I, I just can't do this. And so he does all that and eventually goes there. And that leads him into the fourth phase of his life, which he leads out of this nation into a desert. He leads a whole crowd of people. Okay, called the Israelites, and they're meandering and walking around for 40 years. And the, what's the crowd mainly do? They complain and they blame and they whine because, Moses, you're not enough. Yeah, you got us out. We gave you the award ceremony, but you're not enough to lead us because you keep getting us lost on the way to the promised land. Would you just stop and ask for directions? But, dude, he's a man. He's not going to do that. So he keeps getting lost, and Moses is feeling very inadequate. If you read that story, I'm not enough. I just wish I could go back to the sheep rather than people. Anyone ever feel like that? And so Moses goes there, and then that leads, uh, you know, at the end of his life, he actually gets to see the promised land, but from a mountainside, and he never gets to go in because he's not young enough, he's not healthy enough. He dies. So Moses gets it, and he gets the whole idea of time, which leads us to... You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Now, she reads it like Gandalf the Great, doesn't she? <laughs> Thou shall not pass. It's how Moses sounds. I mean, really? And what he's saying is, y'all have so much time. And he said, God, I have only have so much time before I return back to dust. And guess what? Moses was right. So really a question for us today is, what are you going to do? before you turn back to dust with your life. You don't even know how to say no to people. What are you going to do? I hear this all the time in my profession. I thought I was going to have more time. You know, I, I didn't know she was going to serve divorce papers. I didn't know it got that bad. I thought there would be more time to connect. I, I thought, you know, mom died. I thought there would be more time to call home. The kids go off to college and the parents walk away. We said, we thought there would be more time for parks and picnics and play dates. Where did the time go? My friends, today, in today's world, and Moses would say this to all of us, is if you don't learn how to slow time, time will spiral out of control and you get all sped up and freaked out and stressed out and overwhelmed and filled with anxiety. We've got to figure this out. 
A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Now, a watch was three hours. Everybody say three hours? Anybody having fun yet? Three hours in the night. And Moses simply saying, listen, man, I feel like the years are passing by, and it, but for God, man, for you and your, all your everlastingness, it, my life must be so short, like three hours. Are you kidding me? And as I get older, I keep telling you, God, my years are going by faster and faster. Anybody feel this way and faster? You know? And today's world, the average lifespan is 87 years old. And from those 87 years, you, you spend 27 years sleeping. And of those 27 years, seven years are spent lying in bed awake worrying. You spend four hours driving. I don't know where they get all this data, but I read it. And 11 hours you spend surfing the web combined with watching TV. Ten and a half years, I shouldn't say hours, years. At work. And now there's about eight hours after you spend time dressing and miscellaneous stuff. Seven or eight years working on your life's work or your passions, and which really lights you up. If you're stuck in a job you don't like, it only leaves you about eight years, right? And then if you break it down even more, you get about 1,440 minutes per day or 8,800 seconds, something like that, per day. Some of you out with your calculators now, I don't see if he's right. Per day, and you can choose whatever you want to do with it. Most of you say, I'm stuck. I can't do it. I, you still have freedom to choose what to do with that day. Can I suggest not just take a 24 hours off every now and then, maybe even every week, to play and recharge and repurpose your life and your heart. Who doesn't need that? To re-engage with the day in your heart, but also to take a two-heartbeat Sabbath as often as you can every morning, day, and night. What I mean by that is for two heartbeats longer, take in life. So when you walk into a room, instead of just walking right into the room and saying, that's my chair, man, stop and scan the room for two heartbeats longer. When you eat your food, savor the ice cream for two beats longer. When you're getting ready to leave for work in the morning, gentlemen, and, you say, and you're married and you say goodbye, honey, I'll see you with all good intentions. I'll see you tonight and you're out the door of the garage and you're off in your car. Instead of just doing that, can we stop for two beats longer and really look at her because she's been waiting and dying for you to look at her and see her again. For two beats longer, when you go and you tuck your kids in, if you still have kids or grandkids, and you, then they say, good night, Papa, good night, Daddy, good night, Mama, can you soak that in for two beats longer? Because life is to be lived in the two beats that unfold in the divine freedom of the now. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, by, but by evening it is dry and withered. That's so depressing. Let's go home. <laughs> I mean, it's like life is so short. That's what he's saying. Nobody's getting out of this thing alive. And it's quick. It's really quick. In fact, there's this meme or picture. Time is finite, but our experience of it does not have. Listen, he was him. I mean, it's going by, and he's about to be him. And Moses is saying, you know how a baby's born? And he said, man, that baby's got his whole or her whole life ahead of her. And then they're gone. And, and mourning is God's way of saying, one more time. One more time to put your arm around someone. Because you're not promised tomorrow. One more time to dance. One more time to share love. One more time. 
Aaron, you're so earthy. This is how God created us. One more time, just run around and dance. One more time. That will help you slow time if when your eyes open, you say, one more time. Because one time you'll be right. Our days may come to, oh, sorry. that we may gain a wisdom of heart. So our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures here, right? I don't know if it lasts 70 or 80 years for us, you know, before they quickly pass and we fly away. Most people that I talk to today, they die at 25 and we don't get around to burying them until they're 85 because they sold their dream to go work for somebody else's dream. And that, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, what do you, what, what's your life, okay? What's your life? And yes, God plants dreams in your heart. That's okay to say, y'all. I told you Christians would be offended at me. And you can rediscover your passions and your purpose and your life joys in a Sabbath. That's what it's for, not to overthink and be depressed and sad, but to say, God, I believe foundationally that you're enough for me, so I'm playing with house money here, and I believe that I am enough and that we are enough, and that on this Sabbath, every day that, or every week that I look forward to, I can recharge, unplug, connect back in with my life source, and get all excited about, about life again. And then it said, I'll fly away. How about that for slowing time, right? I'll fly away. Oh, I can't sing, but I love to sing. Did you know that's where that song comes from? Moses, you know that? I'll fly away. I mean, think about it. when you're anxious. When I die, when you're anxious and stressed and you're feeling sad and you're feeling bad and you want to take some pills or you, you don't know what to do with your life or you're stuck in your job or your marriage is dead, your kids don't want to talk to you anymore, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I want certainty. That slows time and it reminds you to plug back into them. It doesn't have to stay dead. You might want to edit out the song. <laughs> Teach us to number our days. So what he's saying here is to live like your days are numbered. Get it? Live like your days are numbered. We got this jar at home, two of them, one for each of my daughters. And in the jar, there's all kinds of stuff. There's rocks and toys and stuff like that and little balls. And I pull one out every day. And uh, one just broke, so I need to get it refilled, but I put it in my pocket and I just tap it every now and then or when I, my hands are in my pockets, I remember. Because when that jar hits empty after I take so many out, it tells me they're 18 or something like that and they're supposed to be out of the house. I don't really want them to leave, but to remind myself that I only have so much time. I got, I got a friend that puts a suitcase up on the wall in their bedroom with their daughter and like, I, I, don't, want, I don't want a suitcase. I, you know, I want just Bieber. I'm going to put a suitcase to remind myself that I'm helping you to prepare for life and one day you're going to be gone. Right? One day you're going to be gone. So to live like your day, and you do this with important things. Remember when you got engaged? You had the ability to say no to really well-intended things because you had a priority and a passion and a purpose set. You were going to get married. Same with the test. Everything in your schedule and calendar aligned around that test. You can do this. Say, I can do this. You can do this. All right? And, and one of the other ways to help me slow time and to decrease anxiety and stress is this, is listen, there's going to be come, uh, come a day 
well, I'm not going to be able to do what I'm about to do today, but today will not be that day. I have that written down in my, in my bedroom, and I just remind myself, I put it in the kitchen as well, and to say, hey, maybe you're a chef and you love to cook, and you say, I don't know, let's just say spaghetti, because who likes to cook spaghetti? Maybe it's your, your thing. But there will be a day where I will no longer be able to cook spaghetti today for all my neighbors, but today will not be that day. Hey, everybody, come on over. Let's do this. You know, when, 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 when I see my wife, you get such into a habit of just monotony and you don't do anything, you know. There'll become a day where I will not be able to put my arm around her anymore because one of us is going to go. But today, uh-uh, today won't be that day. There will be a day where I'll not be able to throw my kids in the air. People ask me why I lift weights. That's why. I want, to, I want to be able to throw them in the air and hold them as long as I can. That's my main why and my main motivation. And today, every time my bicep hurts from lifting, today's not going to be that day. You can do another curl. It's about love, right? There's going to come a day when I'm lacing my shoes up, getting ready to go for a run, where I'm not going to be able to go for a run. Let's just make today that day. You know, I'm too tired. Well, whatever your priorities are, to remind yourself that today won't be that day, right? And the reason why we can do that is because we live in the context of everlasting to everlasting. We know that God puts purposes and dreams and all that kind of stuff in our heart, and we are caught up in everything and his plans and purposes for life. And Moses says, what if we begin to live that way? Where at least once a week, he says to the Israelites, we have a 24-hour day where we play and we rediscover our purpose and we lead into the fact that God is enough, which offends some people, and that I am enough and you are enough and we are enough. And we can constantly improve, but we are enough. And if you don't get that into your head, it will drive you to your life choices and your calendars to chaos and stress and anxiety. And I'm telling you, most of the people in this room, even though you're great people, you won't do it. And here's why. It's called atelphobia. Atelphobia is a real thing in your mind. It's a mindset that says, I have the fear of not being enough. You walk into a room, I don't know, I'm not dressed enough. What's my dress look like? Why well, my hair? You know, I just don't know if I make enough money to be in this room. I'm just not enough. And in childhood, it comes from all places. It was planted in our brains, Sub, you know, whatever. In childhood, they say, hey, sit up, put your shoulders up, be the perfect, docile, peaceful kid, you know. And if you don't, the child hears, I'm not enough. They say, don't do that. Don't swing from the monkey bars. Be safe. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go across the street. Child thinks, and all that's good stuff. I'm not enough to be able to do this on my own, right? That's what you get all the time. And then when you're a teenager, it's like, get the perfect grades because you need to get into college. And we're well-intended in saying this to teenagers, right? And they bring home a report card, whatever they call them these days, of all A's, and they got a B plus or a B or a B minus or whatever. And it's like, the parents are great. Hey, let's throw a party. You got to look at these great grades. And at some point we say, dude, what happened with the B? And the kid hears, I'm not enough. When am I ever going to measure up? And then we get a little bit older and the parents t- get into our dating, you know. It's like, hey, don't smoke, drink, or chew or go with the girls who do. It's like, well, shoot, man, I messed that one up. When am I ever going to be enough? And then when you're a, par- you're a parent or a grandparent, be the perfect role model. You know what all this leads up to? A life full of regret that said, why didn't I just live my life instead of according to everybody else's expectations? So here's my challenge to you. The next time somebody makes it feel like you're not enough or implies that you're not enough or you don't feel like you're enough, it's your own baggage, start saying, not enough for who? Not enough for who? Because listen, as a believer, 
I would say this, hey, if I'm good enough for God and you're good enough for God to send his son, he is for you. And if he is for you, you're enough, period, exclamation mark. There is no dot, dot, dot. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, a heart of wisdom here means to have a healthy perspective to live life well. Bonnie Ware is a registered nurse for hospice, so she interviewed people in her last 12 weeks of life, and she asked them this question, hey, what regrets do you have, if any? And she got five main answers over and over and over again. I'll give you the top two. Here was number two. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And this was her reflection. This came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. She went on to say, Women also spoke of this regret, but most of them were older generations, so they were not the breadwinners. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of work existence. Listen, I love work, but I'm trying to listen to the dying, trying to listen to Moses. What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And then here's the number one regret. I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And she reflects. This was the most common regret of all when people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it. It is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they had made or not made Health brings a freedom few realize until they no longer have it. Let's go to the next verse. Satisfying us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad and happy in all our days. Let's keep this verse up here. Keep that up here for a second. Before I explain what that verse means. A lot of you won't take a day off even though you just heard the dime or rest or play or recharge because you say, I got to have it. I won't have it if I take time off. My question is, what's it? I don't know, but I got to have it. What is it? It probably came from your parents. Honey, I want you to dress it. I want, you to, I want you to feel it when you walk into it, and then I want you to get it's on your card so that you can enroll in it university so that you can buy an it and upgrade to another it and upgrade and upgrade and upgrade to another it, 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 it. And other parents say, I don't want you to do any of the it's that I did because I messed up all the it's. Can't win with your parents. But the whole point is, when do I ever measure up? When? Right? And some people say, well, I will never be good enough. I will never be enough. If you're enough for God to bring forth from the world and to send to sin, you're enough. You're enough. It's to satisfy us in the morning. And to happy, oh my gosh, happiness is in the Bible. Uh-oh, cover that up. Joy's in the Bible. Uh-oh, cover that up. So listen, we're going to come to a time of response here. And I'll, I'll explain this first during the time of response. But here's what I want you to know as we do this. You can come up here while they play at any time. They're going to play a few songs. You can come up here and take communion. You can come over here and pray. And you can give financially because this church does amazing work. 
It's amazing work as a light in the community. At any time that you want to do that, whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, it's okay. We welcome you. And if you're not a believer, hey, man, it's okay. We're glad you're here. To satisfy us with joy. In my house, it's dance parties. We just crank the music up and we dance. And for two beats longer, I just take it in because I know it's going to go away. So there's that tension of sadness and joy all at the same time. But it slows time because I can see him jump into my arms in slow motion. I can see my wife giggle in slow motion. You're already enough. Long before you got your degree, long before you became an entrepreneur, long before you started your business, long before you started your 401k and your pension plans and you made all your plans for life, you were already enough in someone's eyes and that would be the most important creator's eyes. He brought you forth into the world from love, not from determinism. He chose to bring you here, man. You're already, you're playing with house money. Anxiety and stress are brought on from this insidious, pernicious belief that says I'm not enough. Anybody who tells you otherwise has something to sell you, including the church, okay, including the church, because the church is systematically, it beat me up, and they probably beat you up at some point, but the church is beautiful. It just gets it wrong sometimes. You are enough, right? You are enough. There's two kinds of people. One, they say, I'm not enough, and so it drives them, it drives them, it drives them, and they're stressed, and they're worried, and they're fearing. I always met walking into a room saying, do I measure up? And there's another kind of person that walks into a room and says, I can take some time off. In fact, I'll probably be more productive the rest of the week if I do. I won't overthink, I won't get sad, I'll play, I'll recharge, I'll get, un, get involved in my purpose, I'll call some quality friendships, I'll take the words of the dying and take Moses. And I, that drives me. You still be ambitious without giving up your ambitions. This is not new age gobbledygook raw rasta. This is super, super, it's called the gospel. You know what the gospel means? Good news. That's good news. That's good news, man. Don't let anyone tell you when you walk out of these doors. Some of you came in here. You need, you need a word of hope that you're not enough. You are enough. Don't let the government tell you you're not enough. Don't let the church tell you you're not enough. Don't let your spouse tell you you're not enough. Yes, you can constantly improve. It's okay to be enough and improve at the same time. That's not a contradiction. Don't let your business tell you're not. When you get, if you get fired, it doesn't mean you're not enough. Okay, you're still foundationally in your heart and in your mind as a human being. You are enough. Don't let an atheist tell you that God's not enough. Still answer with gentleness and respect. Don't let materialism tell you that God's not enough. Don't let, you know, science, science was started by Christians. So don't let oxen, you know, tell you that you're not enough. Don't let anybody tell you. Don't let the scales tell you that you're not enough. It's just a number, man. It's just made up. It's all made up. It's all made up. It's just a number. When you look in the mirror, you are very beautiful. 
Could you put some makeup on if you want? Go ahead. I don't care. Buy a wig, guys. I don't know. Whatever your thing is. But you're enough. And it all comes down. And this is why we get ready to do this. The great Danny, you know, institute this. Is, if you don't believe me, it's all punctuated at the cross. That says, God is enough. Enough of the nonsense. God is enough. And you're enough. And if you can take one of the greatest inventions up to modern humanity and plug it in and recharge it, how much more for you?